I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting. Today, we welcome Christopher Gallant, CEO of Chamberlain Coffee, and also former Bain consultant into the studio. But before we say hi to Chris, just want to remind everybody that we are sponsored by ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you. So Chris, CEO of Chamberlain Coffee, that, if I'm not mistaken, I might have seen you guys on The Late Show. So that's kind of a big deal. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you guys ended up on The Late Show. Yeah, we were on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon twice last month, and it was great. Yeah, I joined Chamberlain Coffee about a year ago as CEO, and prior to that had been in the food and beverage industry for the better part of 15 years, both the big companies and small companies. And I think I discovered after working at a few big brands that I really enjoyed building and working at small companies. So when the recruiters reached out for this role, the company was on fire. They were growing really fast. It seemed like a good place to be in a segment that continues to grow. That's incredible. So I eventually want to get back to your consulting experience, but I want to start, Chris, with Chamberlain. Obviously, you guys are a coffee company, but I know there's a lot more. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, Chamberlain Coffee was started by Emma Chamberlain. She's a YouTube creator and the face of Gen Z for many brands. And before she started this company, coffee was a real passion for her. And so if you take a look back at all of her early videos that had to do with coffee and cold brew. And when she wanted to start a business, she went to her agency and said, hey, I'd really love to do something in coffee. And so they found a venture studio who came in, put in some resources and started the brand. They brought me in a year later to run it. And it's growing really strongly. It's really resonating with Gen Z, both from the brand we've built and the product we've made, which is organic, sustainably sourced coffee. We have whole beans, ground beans, as well as a number of different formats like single serve coffee. And we're also expanding outside of that too. So we have matcha tea, of which we just released two new flavors last week. So very excited about that and about the product expansion as well. That's incredible. And obviously it's resonated with Gen Z, but I guess, could you tell us a little bit more about kind of what makes Chamberlain so special? Yeah, a few things. I think the first is the quality of the product. It's mostly sourced from Latin America, all from local collectives and local farmers. And it is all organic beans, which is pretty rare for a coffee bean. But product aside, we've also built a really nice brand that connects with the Gen Z consumer with Emma as the forefront and the spokesperson for it, but more so just a brand that's resonating. It's bright, it's fun, it's colorful. And I think people are enjoying it. One hypothesis of mine is also like, it seems like each generation, right, has an even more to kind of like discerning palette when it comes to coffee, right? Like, I mean, I remember I grew up being used to Folgers, right? And it, the coffee space has evolved. Absolutely. And that's how we think about it as well, the different ways of coffee. And so as I was growing up, my folks drank Folgers and Maxwell House. That was in my house. And then when I started drinking coffee, it was coffee bean and tea leaf, Starbucks, really the first wave of real premium coffee. And so we think of that actually the second wave of coffee after Folgers and Maxwell House. But that was the first time premium coffee was available to the masses. And then later we see with millennials, the start of real craft coffee with Intelligentsia, with Stumptown, with Blue Bottle. And that took off like crazy. And what we're finding is no one's really speaking to Gen Z yet. No one's speaking to what that consumer wants. And I don't necessarily know if it's the craft of coffee as much as it is about organic, as it is about sustainable sourcing. And that's who we're trying to speak to. And with Emma resonating and connecting so much with that cohort of consumers, we're able to piggyback on that and get our message out to Gen Z. And where is Chamberlain being most consumed? Is it at home? Is it in restaurants? What does that look like? Yeah, right now we are largely D2C, although we're starting to push into retail grocery as well. But it's all for consumption at home. We don't have food service yet, but that's on the radar for 2023. 
Okay. And just because I'm a weird coffee drinker myself, are your customers, are they grinding it at home or is it come pre-ground? Yeah, we have both. We find a mix of maybe 75% of people are buying pre-ground and about 25% of people who buy beans are buying whole beans. We also find single serve sachets, like basically a, a tea bag would fill with coffee doing really, really well for us. Oh, wow. So those are like single serves then? Exactly. Oh, wow. It's a small French press right in your cup. Oh, that's incredible. And I know you guys have been growing like crazy. I guess the first question I have is what's it like running, let's say, decently known popular coffee brand? You know, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of opportunities that come our way because we've grown the brand so much, but also because of Emma and people really wanting to connect with her. So it's a lot of fun, but it, it's a lot of work. The team here is, you know, heads down for most of the week trying to grow the brand. Well, good stuff. I want to get into kind of your career in general. But before I do, if you were interested in getting Chamberlain coffee, where would you go right now? Thank you for the plug, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Not so smooth plug, huh? I love it. I love it. It's chamberlaincoffee.com, real easy. Or just find our Instagram, Chamberlain Coffee, and we'll direct you to the right place. Okay, awesome. Yeah, you can take the quiz, find out what the right blend is for you, whether it's whole bean or ground, light roast, dark roast, caffeine level. So we'll help you out if you get to the website. Okay, awesome. We'll drop the link in there as well in the description. Thank you. You bet. Okay, so now the the big question too for our listeners, which is like, okay, how does one become a CEO of a popular consumer brand starting in consulting? So maybe just Chris, rewind the tape and start us there. Yeah, you know, it seems like a linear path when you look back, but it was not quite as linear going through it. So in consulting, I spent most of the time there working in consumer goods. So part of it was working in the private equity group at Bain & Company, thinking about diligence projects for private equity clients. Part of it was working for the consumer goods group at Bain and did everything from those short four-week sprints on diligence all the way through to much longer projects, year-long projects, thinking about how do we structure the route to market and distribution in a certain region for bigger companies. So spent a lot of time in food and beverage, which is where I wanted to be. As I was thinking about the next step, my last client was Heineken. And so I left Bain to join the Heineken M&A team after having done about eight months of consulting for them. And we spent the better part of two years doing deals throughout Latin America. The biggest deal was, and I worked with Heineken on the acquisition of a company called FEMSA or the brewing arm of a company called FEMSA. They were a big Coke bottler and brewer in Latin America, and they had the biggest operations in Mexico and Brazil. And so we bought the Mexican and Brazilian brewing operations. So I spent two years living down in Brazil and Sao Paulo working on the deal and then working with the marketing team post deal. And so it was a lot of fun first experience working for a big CPG in-house. And then was thinking about staying on, moving down to Brazil permanently, because I was commuting back and forth between New York and Brazil for those couple of years, and decided I wanted to start my own company instead. And so I was in the beer industry. I knew it well. Moved back to New York full time to start the Bronx Brewery with a partner and built that up over seven years. And great experience. Every job at the company was something I did from helping my partner brew to delivering beer to sales to finance to HR. So great experience really seeing everything from the ground up, a total opposite of working at one of the largest brewers in the world, which was Heineken, to something that is from ground up. So we did that over seven years. I sold that and then moved west to work for Red Bull, where I landed in a group of all former consultants, mostly people from Bain and the Red Bull Strategy Group, and did that for a while. I think going back to such a big company, I realized I was probably better suited for building again. And so I started looking for opportunities to build, found a great kombucha company, ran sales and marketing for them for a while, and then jumped into Chamberlain Coffee, where 
where we are holding on to a rocket ship and growing as fast as we can. And if I'm not mistaken, when you started Bronx Brewing Company, I mean, that was before the whole kind of like craft beer phase really was like the cool thing to do, right? I think when we started, there was somewhere around 12, 1300 breweries in the U.S. And alas, I checked, it's approaching 10,000. Wow. Yeah, very, very different landscape over the course of those seven years. So I guess maybe what makes sense to talk about today is kind of like the differences in your career. Because you've kind of done, call it like director strategy type, like you've done those like corporate strategy roles, but you've also been very entrepreneurial from starting your own company and now obviously leading somebody else's. Maybe just talk to us about the differences between those types of things and where you've gotten the most energy from? Yeah, you know, it's wildly different from delivering a keg down the basement of a New York City restaurant to advising on the due diligence. But there's a lot of skills that can translate in between. And I think as, as I look back on consulting, it gave me a few things. One, let me deep dive into an industry I was really interested in. So if you rewind even before consulting, before business school, I was a software engineer. And so I, I really had no experience in consumer goods before I went into Bain. And so it let me really deep dive and say, hey, I think I'm interested in this. Let me explore it for a while. So that was one. I think the other thing it did is gave me a good sense of the different functions within an organization and how they all interact and where I think I could add the most value at an organization. Uh, and for me, it wound up being you know, the commercial side. And then you just build up a really solid set of skills, just a solid business baseline to really understand how everything functions, how to build a P&L, how that translates into balance sheet, how that balance sheet translates into cash flow. You build a, just a solid set of skills. And I think the last thing that was really helpful about consulting was just the network. And so now I'm, what, 13 years out of consulting and I still have a solid network of people I can call to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? How are you guys thinking about the commodity market right now? Because coffee futures are way up. Help me understand that. Awesome. Yeah. Some of our listeners are going to be interested in call it like the corporate strategy route. Some of our listeners are going to be interested in rolling the dice and betting it all on green like you did with Bronx and running your own company. I guess like, could you talk us through maybe the pros and cons of each of those different paths? Yeah, and the pro of going corporate strategies, I, I think it's one step further from consulting in that you still have a huge support network. You have an entire organization to lean on. You have a set of defined projects that you can work on. You have plenty of resources to go in, dig, find data, come up with an answer. And you have, I think, good market comps for what you might want to do. I really enjoyed it. I didn't so much enjoy being in a big organization, but the work was a lot of fun. The people were great. But on the flip side, if you think about entrepreneurship, at least the way I thought about it is I like to build things. And so being an entrepreneur, let me build, let me create something, which you don't really necessarily get at a corporate strategy role. You don't have a lot of direction, which can be great at times. You can also struggle at times to figure out the path forward that you need to take in various different scenarios. And that's where, you know, you're able to think about some of the connections you made in the past and ask for a little bit of help. Speaking of building things, what advice would you have for folks that are interested in building a brand? So you've obviously built a brand at Bronx. You're building one now with Emma. What would you suggest? Yeah, you know, man, the risk of sounding trite, like authenticity. <laughs> I mean, like, everyone in marketing talks about authenticity, but I think the reason, for example, Chamberlain Coffee works so well is it's authentic. Emma's known for drinking coffee. She's known for you know, loving cold brew. It's not a, a paid spokesperson that's coming in. For example, we've just made a funding announcement. Emma's announced as one of the big investors. So she's fully invested emotionally. She's fully invested well, with her passion and, and loving coffee. She's invested with uh, her dollars. She still does a lot of the work on social media for us. So it's her voice. So it's a real authentic brand and people can see that. And I think that's the most important piece is creating an authentic brand. The other piece is about 
quality of product. And so Emma uh, can bring all these people to our brand through brand awareness and just she can drive people to the site. But if we have a terrible product, they won't come back. Sure. So I think those those are the most important things to me. Yeah, I mean, especially with a product like yours, I mean, in a way, it's kind of maybe a weird choice of words, but it's you're waking up. It's the first thing. Yeah. Right. You're kind of experiencing like I know for me, my coffee experience (laughs) matters a lot to me. Right. No, you're right. It's a product people consume every day. It's very personal. There's a million ways to make coffee and everyone thinks their way is the the only way and the right way. But it's, it's yeah, it's so personal. It's so intimate. Absolutely. That's cool. And what about the hard stuff? The stuff that's like, I mean, you mentioned pulling a keg down the stairs of a New York City restaurant. I mean, talk us through all the tough stuff of being an entrepreneur and a company leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that list is too long. <laughs> no, just like just getting chased out of kitchens by chefs. <laughs> the tough stuff about being an entrepreneur, I think, you know, it's like the flip side, like the tough parts are the exciting parts. It's tough because you are setting the full strategy. You are figuring out what to do. I think that's a tough part. It's also very exciting. But yeah, you need to figure out the path forward. I think the other thing that's a bit of a shock going from a corporate strategy role or even a consulting role into being an entrepreneur is just the speed at which you need to make decisions. At a company, there are so many decisions that are happening all the time. You know Ken, right? As CEO of ECA, you're making decisions all the time, multiple times a day. And that's just very different than consulting. And you have to get comfortable with that speed. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point on the decision making too. And like, it's probably way more relevant for you guys just being how consumer facing you are, right? Because the things that you do are going to touch theoretically millions, right? In a way, but awesome. The other thing I'm curious about is like folks that are maybe, they gone into consulting and then went into a corporate strategy role, realize this isn't for them. What advice do you have for them? Because a lot of our listeners find themselves in that particular position and they want to do something different. I think there's a lot of paths you can take from there. You're really set up for success. And so you can think about going back into consulting. Business is doing so well for consulting firms right now. All the big firms, Bain, McKinsey, BCG, they're all hiring. Certainly, if it's the right moment, you can think about going back into consulting. That's one. I think the other piece is that there's there's a lot of specialty consulting firms out there. So if you have a specific function you like, if you like restructuring, if you you know like consumer goods, if you like you know something very specific, you can head to a smaller firm and keep a focus. And then otherwise, I'd say, hey, if you you know you're in corporate strategy, you've probably seen a lot of different functions at whatever company you're at. What resonates with you the most when you were there? What project did you like to do the most? So, you know, when I was at Red Bull and doing corporate strategy, most of my focus is on the sales side, thinking about how do we sell differently through different channels? How do we structure our team? So if you find something you really like, start talking to people in the organization about getting into that function. That's probably the easiest way in. Okay. And then I guess one of the things to just admire about the way that you've structured your career, either intentionally or unintentionally, is there's a session, a a passion, call it, with beverages, right? And how did you discover that? Or is that intentional? Like, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd love to say it was intentional. But, you know, I think it was just, like I said uh, earlier, right, when you're at Bain, uh, or any consulting firm, you get the opportunity to see some different things. And I pretty early discovered that that was what I'd like to do. I thought it was a fun challenge to create a consumer facing product because it's in some ways, it's a lot more difficult to create that consumer brand than it is to create a B2B brand. And so I really enjoyed that challenge. 
and I wound up just working with a lot of beverage companies. So that's how I ended up there. And then you just, along the way, you wound up building a skill set. You wound up building a network within a specific industry, uh, and you have some this institutional and industrial knowledge. So that's why I just really enjoyed it, and I had the knowledge. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And then I guess for our listeners, where do you feel like maybe consulting didn't give you the full breadth of tools to operate in the real world? That's a good question. I think back like uh, to the term execution risk that you use in consulting. What's the biggest risk here? Execution risk. And I think you realize it pretty quickly that when you move from strategy into actually executing that strategy, that's all the difference in the world. You can have the best strategy, but if you don't have the financial resources or the team uh, or the knowledge to execute that strategy properly, there, there's so much risk there. I think that was, along with decision-making, that's a bit of a shock of going from strategy into a functional role is that execution piece. Because so many things come up along the way as a consultant, you lay out the perfect strategy, but there are so many curveballs that come along the way where you need to either adjust or, or fully pivot. And that was, that was a big piece. And then I think the other piece, especially in the startup, is like the administrative reality. When you leave consulting, all of a sudden there's so many pieces to an organization that you don't think about but need to be done or critical, whether that's accounting, contracts, employment law, all these pieces that were managed for you that you need to start thinking, okay, like I, I, I need to learn how to read contracts because I can't afford a lawyer for every small thing. Yeah, you really can't help, especially if you're at a growing company and, and you're at the steering wheel, you can't help but not be in the weeds to a certain extent, right? Exactly. Awesome. Well, Chris, it's been awesome having you on. Um, one of the things we ask all of our guests is any resources, either blogs, books, podcasts, obviously beyond consulting, yeah. that you found kind of uh, useful, resourceful uh, for your career? There's two of my favorite books, and they're not new, but two business books I really enjoyed. The first is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. I really enjoyed that book. I read it at least once a year to remind me of negotiation tactics. It, it's so important in, in every aspect of uh, a functional role that you'll play. Have you read that one? Yeah, I've read it. It's funny. I actually listened to the summarized, ver the Blinkist. I don't know if you ever heard of that app, but I listened to it. I would say like every couple of months because I have to remind myself because I'm naturally like a people pleaser, right? And I want to make people happy and all this stuff, but I'm not inclined to be the way that I forget that the author's name is, but like for me, it's, it's like I have to be reminded of it. Yeah, no, it's it's so helpful. And you're right. And unless you practice that on a, on a regular basis, it's really hard to think about. And it's, yeah, if uh, I'm with you, I tend to be a people pleaser and I enjoy talking to people and it's, it's hard to think about, um, but you need to, you need to do that in this role. I'd say that that's one book and the other is more of a fun book. I really enjoyed Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Uh, it's like one of my favorite business memoirs. I think you're the second person to actually recommend that book. Believe it or not, I don't think actually anybody has uh, mentioned Split the Difference yet. So I'm glad you did because I think it's a great book. Well, very good. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. We will definitely put all the relevant information about Chamberlain Coffee. I know you guys are growing rapidly too. So for those former consultants, also check out their careers page as well. For those of you listening for the first time, make sure to subscribe to us on either Spotify, Apple, Amazon, just so that you're notified of future episodes episodes. And lastly, if you want to check out past episodes, it's going to be beyondconsulting.info. And if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at ECA, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ken. And for everyone else, we will talk to you next week. 